so uh, I think the mic gets worse after a little bit of use. Yeah. Do you want to Let's just we'll have it ready. So for those of you who don't know, we've been having all these mic difficulties, and the problem is, if I would speak loud enough, I don't need to use a mic. The microphone sucks, Robert. Uh, because there are people who listen. Oh, you've already just ditched it. <laughs> See, I'm still hoping the mics. I, I still have have faith. Um, and there are people who who are part of tapestry who can't be here for various reasons, uh, who like to listen to the messages and and try and participate that way. Such as Howard and Tally, that many of you know, uh, they have to go back and forth to California to take care of his dad. I know that's terrible punishment there. Um, not taking care of his dad going to California. I actually think is terrible punishment because that's like the worst place on the face of the planet. Um, and so I try to speak in such a way to where I don't need the microphone. And then I get reminded that what ends up happening is I like to vary my voice a lot and I develop a conspiratorial whisper. So this microphone, uh, as much as I hate it, we need it. And it is not crackled. I, I made two adjustments outside. So we'll see. See what happens. Um, here, we're going to start, and uh, I'm going to find my little clicker. Uh, there it is. And it's going to be a little different because I'm not going to have as many photos, and that is because for some reason in Plover on our road, the Internet went down. So my PowerPoint, I have like a PowerPoint from three days ago that I'm using um, and not the PowerPoint that I finished last night. Uh, so we're going through the book of Malachi. Uh, there should be Bibles around you. You may have sat on them. If there's something lumpy, that's probably the Bible. Uh, either that or there may be other issues. Uh, there's going to be scripture showing up behind me, and then the bulletin also has scripture. If you don't have a Bible, take one home. Uh, we're going to be reading from the sixth verse of the first chapter of Malachi through verse 14, so through the end of the chapter. This is what the word of the Lord says. A son honors his father, and a slave his master. If I am a father... Where is the honor due me? If I am a master, where is the respect due me, says the Lord? It is your priest who show contempt for my name. But you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? By offering defiled food on my altar. But you ask, how have we defiled you? By saying the Lord's table is contemptible when you offer blind animals for sacrifice. Is that not wrong? When you sacrifice lame or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them uh, to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? Now plead with God to be gracious to us with offerings from your hands or with such offerings from your hand. Will he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty. I, I will accept no offerings from your hands. My name will be great among the nations. From where the sun rises to where it sets, in every place incense and pure offerings will be brought to me. Because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. But you profane it by saying, The Lord's table is defiled. Its food is contemptible. And you say, What a burden! And you sniff at it contemptuously, says the Lord Almighty. When you bring injured, lame, or diseased animals and offer them as sacrifices, 
Should I accept them from your hands, says the Lord? Cursed is the cheat who has an, a, an acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it, but then sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord Almighty, and my name is to be feared among the nations. Now, for those of you who were raised in church, you might be used to the, the typical Mother's Day sermon uh, that's supposed to happen today. I have friends who've been planning their Mother's Day sermon for six months or so. I, I have one friend who commented on Facebook earlier this week that he's been planning this sermon for a year. I don't plan Mother's Day sermons. Not because I don't like you mothers. I, I'm very proud or pleased of my own mom, and I'm pretty, pretty proud to be married to a great mother. Uh, that still sounds kind of odd, doesn't it? But the mother of my children, I'm pretty proud that she's the mother of my children. Um, but as a church, does that still sound on? It does. Okay, I'll just shut up. <laughs> so as a church, we typically go through a book of, uh, of the Bible at a time. And the thing I like about that is is that so often we, we make the Bible just about religious things as though that's separate from every other part of life. But what I think Jesus teaches us is that there is no separation between our faith and all of the rest of life. Matter of fact, uh, if, you, if you saw the video, you saw a verse there where Jesus says, I have come that they might have life and they might have it to its fullness. Jesus took what we know as the secular, uh, secular, secular and sacred divide. That was my southern accent coming out, by the way. And, and he took it and he said, it's not a divide. There's life. Faith goes into everything. And so, truthfully, I think a Mother's Day sermon comes from what we just read. And part of the way it comes through that is is what you see out in the hallway when you walk through here. One of my favorite things about meeting at a school is every so often we get to see kids' artwork. If you've ever spent time walking down this hall and you, you have stopped and not just thought of it as, as a pathway to a different destination, that this is the destination and you're just walking through there, but you thought, hey, there's things I can see here and maybe even thought there are things I can see here that will begin the worship that I hope to take place in the gym. Uh, you've seen some amazing things. I love when kids write their biographies and they, they start describing who they are. Uh, there was one uh, at the beginning of school year that, uh, when he was describing his mom. He said she drank lots of wine. That's what you really want, you know, announced in the school. Yeah, it's just like, oh. And, and all of these pictures, you'll see pictures of moms and dads and kids and dogs. And sometimes, you know, the dog is like this tall. And, and all these other wonderful things. But if you were a parent, or if you've had a parent that was worthy of a gift, when you were probably these kids' age, you made them some gifts that if you think about now, you might have sentimental feelings for them. There's a decent chance that your mother or your father may have saved those gifts, but if you just look at the gift in and of itself, what do you think? I see smiles. I see smirks. Macaroni art is Macaroni art is great if you run out of macaroni and you need to pull stuff off of construction paper to throw in boiling water. <laughs> Think about it. The gifts you give to your mother as a kid that she gets honestly overjoyed about, not just like, oh, isn't that nice. But there were gifts that our kids gave us that we were like, this is the greatest thing ever. Our three-year-old is a genius. Do you see the way that macaroni is put there? And he knew to use glue. How many three-year-olds know to use No, you get super excited about it. But imagine if you gave your mom that today. Now, it'd be one thing if you're like, Mom, I just wanted to remember you know, what we used to go through. 
But the reality is, is that every now and then you hit the situation where it's like, what can I give mom and only spend 45 cents on? How can I get away with giving my mother absolutely nothing? Can I possibly get that video that we just posted in church and send that to my mom and say, hey, I gave this in honor of you? <laughs> what does that say? If you were to do that, what would that say about your mother? It'd probably say you didn't think much about her. Now, at my house, we have this. Some of you have seen this. I heard a yay. Do you have this? There we go. No, this is ours. If you have ours, then we have stolen it back from you. Um, Pam and I bought this on our honeymoon in Savannah, Georgia. And, and we use it a fair amount of the time, except for apparently I don't use it enough for Pam. That was pointed out today. Um, her, I think her exact words were, I have never eaten off the special plate. <laughs> I don't think that's true. <laughs> she, you were throwing me under the bus. <laughs> yeah, just, <laughs> Kim's just like, she just killed. Yeah. What, what is the purpose? For those of you who, who kind of know what this is, what is the purpose of a special place? If you're not... Supposedly, this is a 1980s thing, and supposedly is an ancient tradition from America. So, you know, ancient couple, is it German? Okay, there we go. And when you eat on this, you're special. It probably means that somebody in Hallmark thought, what can we do to make them buy plates? Ah, I got a great idea. Let's write you were special on it and make a cute little history. And, and the whole thing is, is that whoever's special gets to eat in this place. It's a way of taking an ordinary meal and designating some one as special. The way you treat them that day displays how special you think they are. There, some of you have done amazing things for your mother. Some of you have done amazing things for your spouse or, or, or for friends or for girlfriends and, and for boyfriends. You do those in such a way that you want to display to them that they are special. Sometimes individuals take great pride in that. You can do it in such a way that what you're doing is you're always showing, this person's important to me. Uh, if you look on YouTube, you'll see again and again where people are, are videoing the way they ask someone to marry them. Now, I actually have a little bit of a problem with that because I think it takes the focus off the person who's being asked to be married and puts it on the person who's doing it. I think it says, hey, look at me and how, how creative I am, rather than going, you're so special. But you've probably heard stories of kids having done amazing things for their parents or spouses having done amazing things for their parents. We show what we value by the way we treat that person. We show what we value by the way we treat things. Uh, when, when I was 16 years old and I got my driver's license, my car was a 1974 Pontiac Ventura. Not a car that was known for being special or anything. But my dad and I worked on it and took a, an old beat-up rusty car that had a transmission problem and we turned it into a decently painted hidden rusty car that still had transmission problems with it. But I thought that car was the most amazing thing the world had ever known. It's called the Ratmobile. 
because my nickname in high school was Rat because my initials spell it, and I had a tag on the front because Alabama, you don't have to have a front tag, which I just love. Okay, I, I know why they have it here, but it ruins all your creativity when you can't put a tag on the front of your car because that little space right there is where all the creativity in the car is. And and I had a tag that was airbrushed in probably Panama City, Florida, or some, something, and looked like your typical airbrush thing. It said Ratmobile. And I remember being stopped by a police officer, not because I was doing anything wrong, Noah, um, <laughs> but because they had stopped, had a traffic stop uh, for something ahead. And he said, well, Mr. Ratmobile, you're doing okay. I remember that. That car was special to me and I treated it specially. The passage we just read is God getting ticked off people aren't treating him as special. And, and he's not just ticked off in some selfish manner of like, I should be treated special. These are his chosen people. These are the people that he saved from slavery that tell a story over and over and over again of we were slaves and God set us free. We know that he will always set us free after this again and again and again. And he'd just done it. They had been in captivity for 70 years and he had just set them free from that captivity and sent them back to the promised land. And they were treating him like trash. I do have a few photos to share. They weren't just giving him leftovers. Because there's some great beauty sometimes in giving people leftovers. Uh, Pam and I, uh, when we were in, in Texas and I was working on my master's degree, we knew we were really good friends with this one couple when they finally said, hey, we have a lot of leftovers. Would you like to come and eat them with us? It was this wonderful moment where it was just like, we don't have to do anything you know, big for you. Just come over and eat these. With leftovers can be great. These people in Israel were not just giving God leftovers. They were giving him you know, rejects. They were giving him spoiled food. Whoops, we'll come back to that. We'll come back to that. See, this is what happens when I have to go through. Ah, we'll skip that. that was, I just, did I just shoot you with a laser, Joel? There we go. So they weren't just giving him leftovers. They were giving him rejects. Spoiled. I can't think of anything more insulting. Now, many of you know I was a youth minister for 20 years. I was a youth minister in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, uh, where it was really, really hot and we had hurricanes. I was there, my family, we were there during Hurricane Katrina. We saw some amazing things and some horrific things happen. Uh, but as a youth minister, I reached a point where we had the old church building there and somebody said, Robert, can we set up just like a couch room? I thought it was great. And so I asked everybody in the church, do you have old couches that you could give us? Couches that you're not going to use anymore, but they're still in decent shape. And I had an individual call me and said, I've got a, a barn full of old couches. There's probably 10 couches in there that, that we used to have, and I didn't know what else to do with them, and I put them in the barn, and Angel is making a face, and I'm assuming that's because you know what happened. Yes. We're all full. I don't know. That sounds... Oh, not just mice. This is Louisiana. Cockroaches, snakes, they, they've gotten wet, they've gotten moldy. And this individual was like, look, here's some couches for you. But what he really was saying was, I need, to way, I need a way to get these out of here. And I can use the church to not only get these out of here, but he wanted tax credit. Did you give it to him? No. 
He, he wanted me to get teenagers to come in there and, and remove these couches from his barn so he had space and then thank him for the opportunity to do work for him. See, the people of Israel were not just giving God leftovers. They weren't giving him offerings that he's like, no, that's not worthy of me. If you notice, he doesn't say anything about how big the offerings are. This is not an insult saying you're not giving enough. What he's saying is you're treating me, though, as though I am worthless. You are giving me rejects. He starts describing the animals. He says, you're giving me the lame, you're giving me the blind. Matter of fact, it, where it says injured, that word could be translated as stolen. You are giving me property you stole from somebody else. And he blames two people. One, he blames the priest. And then inherently, he also blames the people because the priests were not the ones giving the offerings. The priest's job was supposed to be the gatekeeper. He was supposed to say, this is not worthy of a God that we believe is holy. Can you explain what was expected? Yeah. That now, you could give an offering of the lame or the blind if it was a free will offering. If it was just like, hey, I just want to give something to God right now, you could give that. That was acceptable. But if it was a guilt offering, or if it was a peace offering, or if it was an offering specifically designed for worship, it had to be pure, spotless, and perfect. You gave a, a cow. The cow had to be healthy. The cow actually uh, had to be, be sexually, not active, sexually um, acceptable, viable. There's, that's a good way of putting it. Uh, you, you wouldn't give a castrated cow. You wouldn't give uh, an injured cow at that point. You wouldn't give a sick cow. You gave that which was good to worship God. If you gave a sheep, you didn't want to give the sheep that was, was spotted and weird looking. Have you ever caught a fish where you were just like, this fish looks almost like a cartoon because it's deformed in such a way? I've caught some where you have uh, ulcers forming on the fish or you have tumors there. Uh, and you just look at it and you go, this is hideous. Those salmon fishing. Um, during the run. That sounds bad. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Imagine if you're a Simpsons fan, imagine the fish that they always catch that has like five eyes. See, God was saying, give me that which is good. And again, there were perfect offerings for, for the rich and for the poor. If you read the story of Jesus being named, they take two turtle doves, which would not have been a very costly offering, and they give those to God to be sacrificed to say, we are so thrilled that we have a son and we are giving this to honor God. Those turtle doves would not have been very expensive, but they had to be healthy and pure. You think of how people treat, treat Goodwill, and Goodwill is not a religious organization. It is a for-profit, non-profit, if that makes any sense. They make money off of it. Uh, but they do really good work with it. They can take any piece of junk you have and they can turn it into money. Not in a bad way, okay? If you have T-shirts that are falling apart or, as I found out today, T-shirts that won't fit you so you give them to a faxon. I'm picking at you. Um, <laughs> if, if you have that, they can take that and they will sell it for rag material. That can still be turned into value there. But people still do that with God. It's not even just giving what's left over. It's saying, I can't use this for anything else whatsoever. So I'll just give it to God. We become like the things we worship. We become like the ones we worship. And, and the way we worship is by showing value. And the priest didn't care about what God received. 
He reaches this point, matter of fact, this is the scripture, where he says, I just wish people would go ahead and close the doors of the temple because what they are doing is awful. And God is literally saying, it would be better if you did absolutely nothing than for you to do what you're doing right now. Anybody here ever been a waitress or a waiter? There we go. What's worse, getting no tip or getting a really, really, really small tip? Like a couple of pennies. Yeah. I, I, actually, I saw over here the small pennies. You said no tip. Okay, see, I'm of the mindset of I would find it more insulting for someone to, if the tip's supposed to be like four bucks and they leave four cents. I would find that more insulting than, than nothing. No, no, I'm not saying if they don't deserve it. I, I completely agree. There are times where I won't tip. But I also usually try to make sure they know that at that point. Um, I typically am a very good tipper. But I think people can use them to insult things. See, you can, you can say, I don't want to just leave you nothing because you might misunderstand this. I want you to know what I'm saying is your service stunk. Whether it did or not, it may not have stunk. They may have just thought it did. See, God is being treated that way. Rather than being honored and worshipped, he is being treated like, here, here's a nice little reject. Pam and I just got a, a new-to-us couch. And, and it's because Pam is great on Craigslist, and she found these new couches because we're going to be moving to Stevens Point next year, hopefully. Um, and we were trying to decide, do we, we need to get a new couch? Do we want to get a new couch now when we don't know what the house uh, will look like? And we have this thing, we want an L-shaped couch, but you have to have the right room for that. And so instead, she found stuff on Craigslist. So we got two new couches in our house for 50 bucks. Scores. <laughs> and we had to get rid of another one. And, and we were kind of worried of like, is this couch so bad that we insult somebody by trying to give it to them? So we called the glazes. <laughs> yeah, she meant the good couch. I didn't know. I didn't know that she didn't mean the good couch. I didn't know that she didn't mean the bad couch. Because I was confused. So we almost didn't put it out. I almost just took it to the dump. Not realizing, and, and uh, Eric was like the one who said, put it on Craigslist, put a curb pickup, it'll be gone in, in a few hours. And somebody found it and found value in it. But to be completely honest, for us, it was rejection. I wouldn't give it to anybody that I really cared about, and I was surprised when I thought they needed it. <laughs> <laughs> Smells like dog. We tried to make it live a little longer, and, and Pam painted it. And so it smells like dog, and it feels like, like sandpaper. It's awful. You painted a couch? You can paint couches. You can paint couches. If it's on Pinterest, it must be true. Just, just because it's on Pinterest doesn't mean it's Hey, hey, hey. Idea. Back to the sermon. <laughs> See, there were people already who were insulting God. That, that picture that, uh, that I flashed up several times is a great general uh, named Antichus. He did the, the unimaginable. In, in 170 B.C., he sacrificed pigs on the altar. If you know anything about Jews, they have a love-hate relationship with bacon. They want to love it, but they can't, which makes them hate it. He sacrificed the most unholy animal. Well, it's actually not unholy. Unpure animal as far as, uh, as the Jew is concerned. On the altar to desecrate it. 
And if you read the passage of Scripture again that, that was, was put there, what God is saying is, is what you are doing by bringing these animals is basically the same thing that this guy did. This guy, what he did, ticked off the Jewish nation so bad that the Maccabean Revolt happened. If you read about it, Maccabean Revolt was the last time that, that Israel was kind of a powerful nation on its own without being supported by others. Even now, we are the ones who support Israel. Uh, and the Maccabean Revolt, for, for a while here, they were a powerful nation that stood on their own. And that was around 170 B.C. And it happened because this guy sacrificed pigs on the altar. And all of them said, that's awful. And what God is saying in this passage is, that's exactly what you're doing. You are defiling my altar. You are defiling my temple. Where I just wish you would close the doors. Alright, so here's why I mentioned this. And it's this passage of scripture right here. Anytime I talk about offerings, I was raised in a situation where when, when my mom would hear someone say that, it would be, oh, a pastor's just looking for money. I am not preaching this for you to give more money to tapestry. Is it not working? Oh, it hasn't been working. Just talk longer. <laughs> okay. Uh, I'm not preaching this for you to give more money to tapestry. I don't believe God needs our money, and there's a huge difference there. I do not think that he needs our money. Scripture says this. I have no need of a bull from your stall or goats from your pens, for every animal of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. So apparently, God has lots and lots and lots of cows, and he likes that. He doesn't need our possessions. We don't give for him. We actually give for us. When, when we give, we are uh, reminding ourselves, that our God is strong enough, our God is powerful enough. We are saying he is more important than our own resources. And I'm not meaning by that that you need to give more to tapestry. I'm meaning by that that we, those of us in the room who are followers of Jesus Christ, need to be living sacrificial, generous lives. Part of that should be the church, but part of that should be otherwise. If you are just giving to tapestry, I would tell you that's not enough. World Vision that I, I showed this organization that I believe in, uh, that we as a church believe in, and we are we are supporting people all the time. Uh, as you know, we are part of seven other churches that feed 300 kids a day. 300 kids a day just by putting money in that box back there and, and putting on it Nicaragua. See, we as Christians, those of us in the room who are Christians, we should be living in such a way that other people look at our lives and say they value something more than their own prosperity. They value something more than their own resources. They value something more than their own power. The way we live our lives shows if we think God is special or not. And I think the truth of the matter quite often is that we live not that far away from the way the Israelites were living. And we're just giving God the rejects, the scraps, the cuttings, where somebody takes a nice, fine-quality steak and then cuts off the fat because they don't want that, and they were just giving him the bucket of scraps that you have over on the side. And they were expecting him to be pleased by this. And one of the things I, I love in this passage is God kind of gets snarky. I love it when God gets snarky with other people besides me. And he says... Now plead with God uh, that he be gracious to us. With such offerings from your hands will he accept you. He's being snarky. He's saying, you really think this is going to work? 
Now, for those who aren't Christians, to be honest, I don't expect them to do anything. I don't mean by that that they're bad people. They're not bad people. Generally, some of them are, just like some Christians are. What I mean is this. If we say we are followers of Jesus Christ, then the way we live our lives should, should show that. The way you live your life should be like this. should be in such a way that you show that God is special by the way you give, by the way you take care of your neighbors, by the way I relate to those around me, by the way I relate to seeing need in the world, in Wisconsin, and in Stevens Point. And instead, the way we so often relate is we give God our spare time just enough, not so much that we're worn out. We give him a, a trinket of, of our resources. And we do a really good job of giving him the leftovers when we can get tax credit for it. Now I say this because if you remember last week the whole passage was about God loves you. He loves you more than you could possibly know. He loves you in such a way that it will never, ever disappear. But if you've had a good mother or you've been around a good mother, you know quite often that statement of I love you comes with, but you can still change. My mom loved me. My mom punished me. My, my mom loved me. My mom expected more from me than for me to give her a macaroni artwork gift when I'm 46. So before I end, does anybody have anything that needs to be added? Okay. Then here's how I want to end it. I always hesitate. I don't preach about, uh, about giving a lot because for some people, that's a big, like, oh, the church just cares about money. We operate off $2,000 a month. That pays for everything, and a large portion of that goes to missions outside of this. That's not counting the money that is given to, to feed kids in Nicaragua. That's not counting the money that's given for other things. Uh, we don't need a lot of money, and thankfully those needs are met. The danger of that quite often is it can become a message where since we don't need a lot of money, uh, unfortunately for some people, they don't give uh, outside of that. And to be completely honest, if more money was given to Tapestry, there's more stuff we could do. But the biggest fear that I have is, is for some people to go, I gave $15 to the church last month. That's all that Jesus wants of me. Jesus called people to follow him. That's a command for everything that should change everything. It should change the way we do our jobs to where as teachers, as, as employees, as parents, we are following Christ. It should change everything. So I'm just asking this. The way you lived your life last week, did it show respect for God? Or was it basically the scraps and the leftovers and the reject moments? Did you and I worship our TVs more than we did Him? Did we, we have the place of honor for them rather than for Him? Did we give in such a way that we showed He is the one who is most valuable to us? 
And yes, sometimes that giving's to the church, but it's also giving to those around us and it's giving to other organizations that make a difference. See, on Mother's Day, we're supposed to respect the sacrifices and the time that our mothers have put into us or people who've been mothering have put into us. And we do that by taking one day and putting aside, but all of us know that that one day's not enough. It's almost like, hey, you, you carried me for nine months and you took care of me when basically every moment of my life you had to watch and make sure that I wasn't going to die because you realize that basically from birth until about three, you're just on danger alert, just like please don't let them kill themselves. Uh, you, know, you did all that for me, and here's how I make it up. One day a year I give you some macaroni art, and I take you out to lunch somewhere where you probably don't want to go because Mother's Day is like the busiest day ever at all restaurants. We know that doesn't work. Or do you show your moms that they're special, by the way? You, you treat them today, but also you treat them special throughout the rest of the year. God has called us to show that he's worthy. And we do that by our, our actions. So live in such a way, one, that you're showing your moms that they're special. But two, we're really going to say we're followers of Jesus. We should live in such a way that other people would look at us and go, they're following Jesus. Let's pray and sing. Father, help us to live in such a way that we honor you. May our actions display that you're most important to us. May our actions display the truth. I pray this in your son's name. Amen. Let's sing together.